You're listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast, a conversation on where we are and where we're going in the world of amateur radio. Your hosts are Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF, for their thoughts and popularity of the rise of FT8. Hey, Dan. Hey, Tom. Nice to uh, talk to you again. <laughs> we just did this last week, right? Right, FT8, and it was a rocking... Uh, we already seem to have, I already got a lot of feedback on it, actually, so it's definitely a hot topic. But we've got something even better now that we promised. I know, and I'm really excited about this. We have Howard Mickle, the new incoming CEO of the ARRL with us. How are you today, Howard? I'm doing good. Well, that's great. We're, we're Honestly, we're really excited to have you on our podcast today. I'm excited to actually uh, be back, uh, you know, where I think home started with the league. So this is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. So, what you know, as we said, you're our new you're going to be our new CEO and when are you starting? October something or other? October 15th. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so, yeah, I, I started out, um, as I said, a ham radio operator before I could drive a car. Um, I uh, got an engineering degree. I went in the Air Force. I had an active duty career in the Air Force. I started out as a pilot. I did some research engineering at one of the uh, research labs. I uh, launched satellites. I was a satellite launch director. Um, then I went to uh, headquarters at Andrews and headquarters at Wright-Patterson, ultimately retired. Uh, I re after I retired, I got my PhD, and then I uh, got a job as a professor at the University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth. I retired from uh, UMass in 2016. Um, while I was a professor at uh, UMass, I actually was an IEEE volunteer. And so one of the things I did as IEEE president was take the board of directors around the world to meet various industry leaders. Um, and we wound up in China. And when I was in China, uh, one of the companies was given this pitch about how they wanted to create technology for STEM education. I'm sitting there thinking this is exactly what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And they wrapped up and said they're looking for a CTO. So I wound up being a CTO at this uh, startup company. Um, we just completed round C funding this year. The company is worth $5 billion U.S. dollars right now. Um, leaving the company to uh, come back to the league. So uh, that's pretty much my career. I, I was interested in how you got hooked up with that Chinese company, and I, you explained it pretty well there. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, the IEEE um, is a professional society, and we always, IEEE always talked about um, getting more involved with the industry. But if you look at the board of directors, it's a bunch of professors generally. Um, yeah. So I said, why don't we go talk to industry? So we, we took uh, a week in China, a week in uh, Japan, a week in Germany, a week in Silicon Valley. And we visited about, uh, you know, 10 companies each week. Um, and so it was a good eye-opening experience because um, I had never had any experience with a startup company before, and I never really was directly involved with a Chinese company. So it was, a, it was quite a change from what I'd been used to. Huh. Yeah, so I, I'm an IEEE member myself. I don't know. Are you, Tom? Uh, no, I'd let it lapse. I am a, a BSEE and all that, but since I've been more involved in the sort of technical marketing and sales end of things, I haven't stayed my professional license on that. So. <laughs> okay. And that, well, well, yeah, you know, so that's I, actually interesting because I think the IEEE, like the league, has got the same problem. We have a lot of people that uh, become members and then they, they find that they're not getting the value 
that they uh, look for, uh, and they and they lapse their membership lapse. So uh, you're not the only one who's let your IEEE membership lapse, and I know there's not you're not the only uh, league member. There's a lot of league members who join and don't uh, renew. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and in fact, that that's one thing I found very uh, interesting about uh, you. You know, I you, so I I'm plugged into a lot of ham radio things, and one of the things someone uh, published was a URL to your slide presentation on the um, on AWRL membership engagement and membership uh, recruitment, and and I, I thought as soon as I read that I thought, man, this is you know if if he was successful at it, this is exactly the guy we need in the AWRL. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's. Um, I'm not exactly sure which presentation you're looking at because I I was uh, VP for MGA for a couple of years, member in Geographic Activities, and I I probably did uh, several. Yeah, um, and you know, really, my view then is similar to what it is now. It's it's uh, we have members, we have volunteers, and we have staff. I mean, it has to be a partnership between all three, um, and you know, that's what I want to try and work at. Oh, you know what? I mean, you're talking my language here. That's that's just that really is perfect. And if I can throw in an editorial comment, which I'm going to do anyway, is that to me, to me, that's and and if you've if you have read anything on my blog, and or you can go back and read my blog, that's one of my biggest gripes with the AWRL is that they're not taking advantage of all the. Uh, high-level people we have in the AWRL as far as volunteer work goes. And so if if you can sort of bridge that gap somehow, I think we I think we have a killer combination. Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, when uh, when I was on the IEEE board, you know, we had this discussion with the executive director, you know, and he says, well, I understand nonprofits, um, whether he did or not, it's another story, but he never really understood volunteers. Mm, and so yeah. how, how do you how do you maximize, you know, a staff volunteer partnership? It, it's something I think that, uh, you know, I had the experience to do because I had to do it in the IEEE. You, you know, you learn these skills as you go. But, you know, it's like if we have, you know, a thousand volunteers, you know, and, and they're all giving you a couple hours a week, right? How many more headcount would you have to hire to do that same work? And we can't afford that. And, you know, absolutely. Just absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and, we, and we, I won't get into it here, but if you're interested in talking about this at some future time, once you've taken over, I'd be happy to tell you about some of the experiences I've had with people who are qualified to do things for the AWRL, but were rebuffed uh, some, at some point for whatever reason, but we'll, we'll, we'll let that go for right now. Yeah. Um, So, so what about the AWRL job appeal to you? Um, So it's, as I started to say, I mean, it really was a chance to go back to where my roots started, but it's interesting because I'll be honest with you. I, I, I saw the ad for the CEO and I said, why are we looking for a new CEO? And I did some digging and and I looked at it and says, uh, there's some problems here. I think maybe it's in the staff, maybe it's in the volunteers, maybe it's in the communications between the two. Um, but, you know, I looked a little bit and I said, I, I think I actually can help the organization because I work through similar kind of issues in the IEEE. And, and so, you know, I wouldn't do it for some other organization. I was perfectly happy with my company in China. Um, they still actually want me to work for them. So I got to work something out uh, with them. But, you know, I I wanted to come back to the league because, as I said, I think 
you know, I have a chance to contribute to make, you know, the world better. I'm a little honest about that, really, because I think the world needs more people interested in technology. And I think they don't have to be engineers, but they need to understand technology and they need to, they need to get involved. And the league is what got me started in that. And I think if we don't, as you know, our social obligation, you know, contribute to these kind of organizations, um, the world is going to suffer. So I want to want to come back to the league. I want to do these things. I want to engage the members. I want to look at the future. And I, I think I can do that. So um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. Well, the, you know, the, honestly, God, that's that's to me that sounds really great. I can see why the the board was uh, was impressed with you because uh, I, I I'm I'm 100 percent with you on that. You know, and it's you know, I'm I'm be honest. I'm 65 years old. My, I don't need this headache, right? Um, I, I people tell me I fail at retiring. I'm I'm collecting a military pension. I'm collecting a pension from the from the UMass system, right? I've I've got uh, stock in the in this five billion dollar company, um, but what what do you work for? You don't work, I think, to get rich. You don't work to make you know. You put food on the table, but then. You know, it's in Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, I'm trying to do something of value. And I don't have that many more years when I can contribute, I think. And so I told the board, I think what you want is somebody maybe for three to five years. I could do three to five years. I think, you know, longer than that, uh, you get kind of uh, stagnant. Shorter than that, you don't have time to make changes. And, you know, I'm still excited about it. So I think I'm the right person to do these things now. Well, that that really sounds good to me. Maybe maybe you can tell me about uh, some of the things you see that that are challenges that are facing the ADRRL that we haven't already talked about. Um, I, I think it has to do with, and this is not unique to ARRL. I think it's it's typical what you find in membership organizations. So uh, the membership or the league, right, is really three things. And I think everybody would understand that we're an association. Um, and I think, you know, when, when uh, for a long time, that was the predominant view, I think, of the staff is that we were uh, an association, a big ham club. Um, Tom came in and he focused on the business. So truly, we have to be a business. If, if, the, if the business is not self-sustaining, we can't do anything else. Um, and by time, you, and, and by time, you meant NY2RF, our previous CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Thank you. Um, and and so the third um, leg of this stool that the league is, is we are a public charity, um, and people don't really think about that. So we're a 501c3. Yeah. So the league exists for the public good. We're not a not a 501c7, which is a social club. And if you go back, I think to the roots, you know, what what is the purpose of the league, right? And it's it's to advance, you know, the art and science, the enjoyment of amateur radio. We educate the public on this. We have a public good, and you know, everybody does their own aspect of that. But if we lose focus of of what we're doing, then we have, I think, a lot of this this disagreement, right? Um, we think the league should be doing something for me when in fact um, it's the other way around. The members should be doing something for the league to to, to foster its its uh, tax exempt purpose, which is to increase, you know, the enjoyment, education uh, of the public about amateur radio. And I, w- I would say all five things in part 97.1. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, all, all those all those do serve the public interest in some way. That's right. You know, we, you know, we, if you if you actually look at the uh, the league's 990, the IRS uh, form, right? There's also is a 990T, which is the tax. The league actually has to pay tax, income tax on on uh, uh, income from from its non-exempt purpose. In terms of the league, that would be advertisement. Um, we actually run at a loss in terms of, of the advertisement, so we don't actually pay tax on it. But you're right. I mean, so everything that the league does is is geared towards the public purpose, the non-tax, the ta- sorry, the tax exempt purpose. Um, and and you're right. I mean, we got to defend the spectrum. We got to educate the public. We got to bring new members along. Um, every aspect of it, I think. Um, needs to be equally supported um, by the business and by the association. Right. And, and, and the, 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 so the business end really should support the public service end. That's, that's the, the really it, it has idea, to, it has I think. To. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without, without, without a balanced budget, right. Uh, we can't do anything. Right. Right. So, so I I always get this, and you've probably seen this too on the on the internet. All these people are saying the oh the AWRL is just a publishing house, but really they're I think they're missing the point. Yeah, because- I mean, so one one of the core businesses is publishing, and and the publishing actually supports the membership. Um, it right. supports some of the other um, core purposes. Right, and and unfortunately, uh, the, they either. Either it's a failure, like you say, a failure in communications or something, but that's that's the way most of these, uh, I would say, uh, malcontents. I would, that's kind of a strong word, but you know, most of the people that that disagree with the AWRL just just can't seem to get past that. So that I think that's going to be one of the challenges going forward. Is you know how do you how do you make people realize that the business end of it is really supposed to support the public service end of it. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I think I think you're right. Maybe malcontent is not the right word. I think everybody who is active has a passion for what we're trying to do. They they just see it differently, right? And and so you know, the role I think of of the board is actually to communicate better. I, I think if I was to say there's a fault, it maybe is actually in the communications, but it's it's not. Exactly like you want to lecture people, you want to engage them in a discussion. Um, but to do that, there needs to be a common understanding of what the purpose is. So, so it's a it's a either it's a spiral up or a spiral down. And, and I hope to be able to start the spiral up so that the members actually understand more about what's going on in the in the organization. And the organization better understands the the needs and the wants and the desires of the members. Yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, um, so, and, and maybe maybe this is putting you on the spot. Maybe this is unfair to me to say, but th- do you have anything in mind that like programs you might want to put in place or or? Programs you might want to start. Like I say, that may be kind of unfair since you haven't even started yet. But 
Yeah, yeah so, and, you, and you can you can feel free to not answer that question if you. Well, want. I mean, I, I I'll tell you what my philosophy is. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna answer the question directly because I don't know the answer. But yeah, so yeah. you know, in the military, you change jobs every couple of years. Nobody stays in the same job. Everybody's being groomed to be the chief of staff, so you need to know everything about everything. But you never actually wind up going into a job where you. The predecessor is still in place, right? So, so you develop skills to figure out what's going on in the organization, right? And and the assumption I have is that everybody there is is doing what they think is right. I yep. need to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and then make an assessment if what they're doing is makes sense to me. And if it doesn't, try and understand why. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're wrong. So maybe they need a new perspective. Maybe I need some more information. So, you know, my, my intent is to actually start, you know, seriously communicating with all the different aspects of the league before I start making changes. Yeah, and that, and that certainly makes sense. That's, that's why I say maybe it was kind of an unfair question. Yeah, I mean, you, we can have another call in a month. I might have a different answer. <laughs> well, you know what? To say having you having you say that i'd happy to be happy to have you on this podcast anytime you want okay <laughs> call thanks. call me up and say dan i want to do a podcast on this i saw you're on <laughs> yeah you know and I'm, I'm i'm starting to think about um you know my column for qst and how how do i actually communicate with the members right yeah. um you know and and so a column is a one-way push right the podcast in some sense is a one-way push i, I need to get out and talk to active hams um, I need to talk. I think you know I was uh, had lunch actually with the with the uh, New England division director and the vice director just before this call, right? Oh, okay. I'm trying to do that um, even before I start to yeah. to get uh, communication started. Yeah. Well, you know, since you bring the and, and again, you 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 can feel free not to comment on this, but but as you know, the, the you know there's been some controversy on the board, and as a result, we have several candidates for the board that. Are I don't know what you want to call them, but sort of anti-establishment candidates, and uh, it's kind of yeah. an interesting situation I think for the league. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, so I would call them the loyal opposition going up to the British model, I guess maybe, um, yeah. you know, and and it'd be interesting to see um, if they get elected, um, what their view actually is after they actually start engaging at the board level. Um, my, my sense is things always look easier when you're looking from the outside. When you get into the mix of things, you find that things are a lot more difficult. Um, you know, there's, and I guess I'll lead into this. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, whether the board meeting should be uh, more open than it is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so all, all, all the uh, loyal opposition, I think, has got the, the mindset that the board meeting should be open. Um, there actually is research data that says board meetings should not be open. Board meetings that are open actually produce um, less optimum decisions than board meetings that are closed. Um, the problem the problem that you have, though, is that the board meeting is viewed as the board meeting. This is a one or two day event when, in fact, the board meeting is part of a process. Right. So so the directors need to be gathering information before the board meeting on issues that are going to come to the board. And then after the board makes a decision, they need to convey the decision back and they need to convey the rationale. So it's not this, you know, star chamber, this black box. Um, it's part of a process. 
And, and the reason you want to have the board meeting itself be private is because people will speak up um, the truth. The, so the reason corporations have boards instead of one person is to bring in all this divergent opinion so board members actually can argue with each other and, and come to some kind of consensus. And, and what they find is if the board meeting is open, um, they're not exactly as open with each other as they are if the board meeting is closed. So right. they the they sort of have that they yeah. they have the feeling that somebody's always looking over their shoulder and therefore more guarded about what they might sure you know and say. I think you know you could you could say you know the worst I think functioning board is the U.S. Congress because they're always campaigning for the next election <laughs> right so um, you know but I, uh, so I think you know what what needs to happen I think is 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 the board of directors need to kind of understand that the meeting is part of a process. Some of the conversation I was having you know, today at lunch was talking about getting information you know, too late to actually do anything with it in relation to their members, right? Yeah. So, you know, is, is there a reason information's coming late? Well, sure, it's coming from committees and committees are volunteers and, and everybody's busy, but maybe we need to rethink about how we organize some of these things. Does it have to be done right now? Can we, yeah. can we discuss it? Um, I think there should be more than two board meetings a year. I think probably three or four would be better. They don't have to be face-to-face, -face, but the board needs to be engaged. When you have two board meetings a year, um, they get the view that the board meeting is the board meeting as opposed to part of a process. Well, you know, then, then too, there's the sort of the dynamic of the way the, the – and I suppose other nonprofits are organized this way too, but – you're the CEO, but it's really the board that makes all the major decisions for the corporation, right? I mean, you're yeah, it's it's right in your right in your title, chief executive officer. So your job is to execute what the board tells you to. So that's not to say you're not going to have a big input into that, but in in the end, it's the board that really makes all the policies. It is right, and and so. The, the dynamic between the the board and and the staff and between the president and and the CEO, um, my view is that you know the staff is working full time, and they can gather information, they can you know present options and stuff, but they have to get the board engaged. The board needs to be bringing in the diverse opinion, uh, and they need to make the decision. And I don't know if that's actually the, the dynamic that we're seeing in the league now. Um, I would say with two board meetings a year, that's difficult. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd like to get the board more engaged in making decisions, but they need to be informed decisions, informed both from, from material from the staff um, and material from, from the members. Um, so right. we have the best best possible solution. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I agree, and and the, the, the you know this this sort of organization served us well for a long time, but maybe uh, maybe nowadays with things changing so fast, we need need to do something a little different. Um, I I think we do. We we need to look at I think, um, you know, what is the role? You know, we look at. Uh, say the league represents the amateur radio community, but in fact we represent maybe 20% of the licensed hams, right? Why is that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, a lot of the, the millennials, um, they don't join organizations, but that doesn't mean they don't have a passion for what the organization is doing. Um, so we need to find ways of engaging them and facilitating their efforts. 
Um, they may never actually feel like they belong to a community. I think that's something older people have that the younger ones don't. Everybody, my daughters on Facebook have a thousand friends. I don't think they have, well, maybe I don't know what they have, but I wouldn't say I have a thousand friends. I'd never say that, right? So right. Um, it's a different mindset, but but they can come together and do things. So So how does the league actually, as I said, balance these kind of things, the business, the membership, and and the, and the public imperative. Well, you know, and that, that's a really good point. And yeah, I'm a I'm a member of the I'm. I'll give you a little bit of background on me for just a second. So I'm 63 years old. I'm a member of the local Rotary Club here, and hmm. I sometimes I sometimes uh, compare amateur radio to Rotary because you know we're an aging population. Uh, we're we're from a. Um, Maybe a generation where people join things more. Yeah. But 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 that's not to say that these these organizations are outdated. I mean, these I, I like to think anyway that they still have a purpose, and we need to find out how to. I don't I don't know exactly how to say it, but how to how to actually get younger people involved at some some level, because. When, if it goes away, we're going we're all gonna be the worse off for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, as I said, if we, if we come back to the core purpose, right, the the tax exempt purpose, the public charity aspect of being a five hundred one c three, right? I think everybody would would focus around that, right? But how do we accomplish that? We look at the membership, the volunteers, you know, and the business, right? So yeah. without without the volunteers. Um, the business is not self-sustainable, right? And right. so without the business, we don't have the resources to carry out the public imperatives, and we wind up spiraling down, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if we can get everybody agreeing, you know, that there's something of value in w what I want to do with my life in um, belonging or associating with the league, right, um, then maybe we can speak for half the amateur radio operators. Um, and then we may have more volunteers. They may not be traditional volunteers. Um, they may volunteer, typically the millennials volunteer for a cause, and then when the cause is done, they go on to something different, right? But yeah. we could be an umbrella organization for those kind of things, right? So, um, so, so, so a, a kind of a similar thing in, in Rotary <clears throat> is called the Rotary Community Corps. And so these people aren't, necessarily members of the Rotary Club, but they're enlisted in doing whatever the Rotary Club is doing, like whatever kind of service projects we're doing. And so it's, it's just something to think about. Yeah, I mean, and this is the kind of uh, a discussion I think the board should be having, right? And so I think the role of the CEO and the staff is to facilitate bringing information. I think we want to be a data-driven organization. Everybody has an opinion, but I find it better if we actually have some data to back up the opinions. And you may find your opinion actually isn't supported by data. Um, doesn't mean that the opinion is wrong. It may mean that uh, we need to do some more digging, or it may mean that we need to take a look at things differently. But, you know, we start with some data, we start with some discussion, um, and then we see where we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. You know, any anything else uh, you'd like to talk about, Howard? Um, no, I, I think this was a good conversation. I think you got some sense of what I'm thinking about. Um, you know, where my philosophy is, where my background brings me. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to, to engage with the, whoever's reading your blog or listening to your podcasts. So, 
Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, really, I, I really do appreciate it. And and I, I I'm going to encourage my readers and listeners to uh, uh, get behind you 100. percent And uh, uh, I think it's. I think it's important that we do that now because, you know, not just not just for the hobby, but for the ARRL and, and for the public service that it that it serves, for public interest it serves. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast with Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF. For links to Internet resources mentioned on the show and other notes, visit NoNonsenseAmateurRadio.com. For more information about amateur radio in general, visit Dan's blog at kb6nu.com. 7-3.